from savannahnow.com. I'm Adam Van Brimmer, and this is The Commute. On this episode, today marks the one-year anniversary of the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. Savannah Morning News journalist Will Peebles talks to one of the Americans inside the building that day, Congressman Buddy Carter, as well as to a Savannian inspired to run for elected office by the January 6th violence, Attorney Wade Herring. Today is Thursday, January the 6th, and this is the Commute Podcast presented by National Office Systems. This episode of The Commute is one we've been endeavoring to make happen for some time. Discussions with two candidates for Coastal Georgia's U.S. House seat, Buddy Carter and Wade Herring, about the January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. Carter downplayed the violence in the wake of the incident a year ago. He labeled it as a situation perpetrated by a few who got out of control and voted against certifying the 2020 election results and President Joe Biden's victory just hours after the attack. The January 6th attack and Carter's response so disgusted Herring that he wrote an open letter demanding Carter's resignation and decided to challenge Carter in the 2022 election. The two men met separately with Savannah Morning News politics reporter Will Peebles for interviews. Thank you to both candidates for their time and their candor. First up is Representative Buddy Carter. Well, thank you, Buddy, for joining us as First District Representative Buddy Carter. Um, You will be running for re-election this year against Wade Herring as a Democrat from Savannah, as well as Joyce Marie Griggs from Brunswick. Um, But that's not really the first thing I want to talk about. Um, uh, We're nearing the anniversary of January 6th, which for me was a wild day, really. I've been thinking about it a lot with this interview, and and, and it was, I I remember seeing it and just kind of being in disbelief, like, oh, this will get shut down before it gets uh, all the way up there. Um, And luckily, I have the privilege of speaking with someone who was there uh, in person on that day, um, which is an opportunity that uh, I've only gotten a couple of times in my life. So I'm pretty excited to talk to you about it. Um, kind of just like take me back to that day when you when you remember January 6th. Is there is, is it a timeline of events? Is the day a blur? Because it was a long day, right? Oh, it was a very long day. And there's no question about it. And listen, it's one of the saddest days of my life. I, I often say that um, not only was I sad at what was happening, but I was also angry. I was very angry at what was happening as well. You know, we were trying to to conduct our our legislative business. We were trying to do what uh, we were elected to do, and that is to have civil debate and and to to reach conclusions on on legislation and and on what what is before us um, in the House. And that's extremely important. And I, I remember that, you know, obviously we, we knew that there were protesters and we, and that's not unusual. We have protesters at the Capitol quite often. Sure. And uh, we knew there were protesters here. We knew there was a lot of attention that had been built up. I mean, none of us are, are, are naive enough to believe that, um, that, that there wasn't um, a lot of tension there. There was a lot of tension. There's obviously there was a lot of, talk among us, but uh, as far as legislators go, it's uh, my colleagues uh, on both sides of the aisle about what was going to happen and all. But, um, you know, um, I, I can remember that, you know, we, we started hearing the protesters outside. You could hear them, and which is a little bit unusual, although, as I say, we have protesters all the time and we hear them. And, but then, uh, you know, we, we started seeing things happen. I remember that, uh, 
the Capitol Police came running in and Speaker Pelosi was presiding. And next thing I know, they were whisking her away and taking the vice president away, taking the senators away. It was a joint session where we were all together. And, and then it was, um, it was like you heard this whoosh sound um, and, and the doors closed. And all of a sudden they told us, you know, we were going to have to leave. I was one of the very last ones to leave and think, in fact, I think I was the second to the last member of Congress to leave. And I, I remember I was so upset and so angry and I was hollering at him. I was and stop, stop doing this. This is, this is not right. This is stupid. And, and then finally I left and, and I know Mark Wayne Mullen from Oklahoma, one of my good friends was the very last one to leave the very last member to leave, but they, they took us to a, secure spot um, in the Capitol. And of course we were all together then, but it really was um, a very sad day, a very sad day, but a very angry day for me because I was really, really upset about what was happening at that time. And I wanna say uh, that I condemn the actions of, of, of these people because this is not what America is about. And this is not the way that you protest. Yes, you have every right to protest. and. And, but you have to do it in a civil way. And this was not done in a civil way. These people, I condemn what they did. They should be arrested. They should have their due process as any criminal should have. And there's been some question about whether they've had that recently or not, but they should have due process and they should be prosecuted to the full extent of the law because what they did was wrong. And I condemn what they did. When, when they came in and they started ushering folks out, was it hush hush or was it, I don't know. Cause you know, you guys were meeting, like it was like you were talking and you were confirming the vote. It was, it, it's a huge day, right? You know, like what, I, I, I don't know. What was the, what was the temperature in the room? Did people start looking at each other nervous or what was that like? Well, first of all, they have these packets, if you will, um, under the under the chairs that have gas masks and all in them. And and they were wanting us to put those on. And, um, you know, nobody knew how to put them on. I mean, it was somewhat comical in in that respect and nobody knew how to get into them. But um, uh, some people were trying to do that. Other people were being ushered out. And, you know, it, it was it was not. I mean, you would have to say it was chaotic, but at the same time, it was um, organized chaos, if you will. And um, if you if there is such a term, I don't know if that's an oxymoron or not. But nevertheless, um, it it was uh, it was somewhat surreal to think that it was happening. Keep in mind now, they never did breach the House. They never did get into the House chamber. Um, They did get into the Senate chamber. but They didn't get into the House chamber. But they were they were, you know, being destructive and um, breaking out windows, which really, really angered me. And, and I, I still condemn what they did because it was just simply not right. But I have to say this. Um, I'm very proud, very proud of leadership, both Democratic and Republican leadership, that we were not deterred. We were not intimidated. We went back and did our business. We went back and finished our business, albeit until 4.30 in the morning. But we were not deterred after the Capitol had been secured again. We went back. We finished our business. We did what we were elected to do. And I'm very proud of Speaker Pelosi. I'm very proud of of, um, Majority Leader Schumer and and Minority Leader um, McCarthy, Minority Leader in the Senate, uh, McConnell, I'm very glad that we did that and very proud of them. You said organized chaos and that 
And, and that really kind of rings true to me because it was slow, right? It wasn't a quick, it wasn't like, and then it happened. It was, it was, oh, there's, a, you know, Trump's talking at the White House, you know, and then uh, the comments that were made there. Did you know about that? Did you know about the, I mean, I guess you, of course, you knew about the Trump rally that was happening outside, right? Yeah, yeah, we knew about the Trump rally. Everybody's aware of that. And, uh, was there and, concern there about that? We knew what was going on. And, but we, you know, it, we couldn't see outside, so we didn't really know what was going on outside with the protesters. As I mentioned before, we did hear them, and um, we we knew that there was a crowd out there, and we knew they were unruly, and but we we had no idea it was to this point. Yeah, yeah. When you think back on it, how I guess a better question: How often do you think about it, January sixth? Well, you know. Look, I, I, people ask me all the time, were you scared? I was never scared. I was so angry. I, I didn't have time to be scared. And, and you know, I, I, was just, I was just very saddened by it, and as I said. Um, but, I, you know, it, it doesn't – I don't think about it quite often. I'm kind of forced to think about it because yeah. of the fact that, um, you know, unfortunately, I think that the Democrats are using this and weaponizing it. And, um, you know, for political gain. And I think that's wrong. This was a dark spot in, in the history of our country. But um, you have to, you know, instead of us coming together, as I would have hoped we would, like we did after 9-11, like we did after the Oklahoma City bombing, instead of everyone coming together and, and trying to trying to make, you know, as, as much good out of this as we can and learn as much out of this as we can. I feel like the Democrats have politicized this and weaponized it for political gain. And that's very unfortunate. What can be learned from January 6th? Well, one thing that can be learned is um, we need to be better prepared. Um, the Capitol Police, who, you know, I, I, I think do a great job. Keep in mind that the Capitol Police are trained at FLETC, the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center in our district. Um, down in, in Glen County. Um, so I know all of them. I mean, it's a great talking point for me to mention that I represent that area. And uh, the Capitol Police, I, we need to do a better job and be better prepared. We were not prepared at all on January 6th. Capitol Police was not prepared and, and should have been much better prepared. And I would venture to say, and I would submit to you today, that uh, we still got a long ways to go, even a year later to be as prepared as we need to be. I don't think we've made as many of the changes as, as need to be made as a result of what happened a year ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it's interesting because uh, to me, January 6th raised a question, um, the more I thought about it over the course of the year, um, uh, and even going back to 2018 for Georgia, especially with Stacey Abrams, um, I wondered like, are we ever going to have a large scale election that's, you know, as highly publicized as, as highly uh, uh, a big of a turnout as the 2020 one was or the 2018 one was for Georgia, where the loser just says, I concede, I'm, I, I lost, you beat me. Or will it always just from now on be, you know, it's rigged, they're cheating, you know? Well, you know, in all fairness, keep in mind that Stacey Abrams was the first one to do this. I mean, oh, she did this four years oh, ago. Yeah, I, I mentioned. Yeah, I mentioned but, but. But it, to your point, and I think it is a good point, I think it's a good question, um, you know, are we going to accept the validity of the results? Well, I have to say that I applaud the Georgia State Legislature for the Election, election Integrity Act. I think that they have made cheating harder in the state of Georgia and voting easier. And I have much more confidence now in our voting process than I 
than I did um, two years ago when this happened. Um, so I'm I'm much more confident that that um, that the results will will be more accurate than they were. You know, there there are a number of reasons that um, I think people have questioned the the validity of um, what happened uh, or the election results back then. I have never said that they were inaccurate. I've never said, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. People ask me all the time, do you think there was fraud in that election? I do not know the answer to that. I do know some things that bring me to, to a certain conclusion that, um, that could have been, could have led to fraud. I mean, if you look at um, what happened and the changes that were made in the state of Georgia, um, you know, you, you can understand that, that there was potential there always been that potential there. So to directly to your question about will it ever be a point where people accept the results? I certainly hope so. I certainly hope so. And I do, again, applaud the state of Georgia for the Election Integrity Act, which I think will give people more confidence in the results of the election. Sure. And there's, and, you know, there's a lot of pros and cons to SB202. And that's, you know, uh, it, neither here nor there in this situation, just because, I, you know, I'm not calling you to talk to you about Georgia le- legislation. Um, uh, maybe a one question later, though. Um, getting kind of away from January 6th here. Um, you've been in since um, 2015. And uh, this is your, so if I'm doing my math right, and bear with me, because it's not my strong suit, uh, that would be your sixth year in Congress, right? My eighth year in Congress. Eighth year. Yeah, see, yeah I'm beginning math. my eighth year in Congress now. Just wanted to show you how bad my math was there. Um, (laughs) So um, if you look back at it in 2014, um, pre-Donald Trump, uh, for the most part, pre-all that, uh, what was the, how has the political sphere changed? Uh, To me personally, from my own point of view, I think it's become a lot more polarized, a lot more uh, capitalizing on anger. You know, Uh, it's a lot Mm -hmm. more of that, it seems like to me. Uh, but in your eyes, um, what has changed from what the Republican Party wanted in 2014-2015 to 2022? Well, first of all, let me preface my answer by saying that the shine hasn't worn off for of me. I'm excited every time I go back to Washington, D.C. It is such an honor and a privilege to represent the area that I have lived in all my life, that I grew up in, that I've lived in all my life, that I intend to live the rest of my life in. So it, it's such an honor and a privilege. The shine hasn't worn off. I'm still excited. It has changed. Uh, There's no question about that. It is more partisan now than I I think when I first went in um, seven years ago. Um, And and I guess you can understand that as a result of the things that have transpired during that period of time. But at the same time, um, you know, I, I, I look, I get frustrated because I think a lot of things have led to this. I think one of the things, you know, people want to point out all the time, oh, it's Donald Trump's fault. Well, it's not just Donald Trump's fault. I'm sure there is some and probably a lot of um, responsibility to be had there by his administration. But at the same time, how much has the media changed? That, to me, is a big part of what has happened as well. It's amazing to me. I, 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 I did an exercise the other night where you know, I was watching Fox News as I normally do. And I said, you know, I think I'll turn it over to CNN and MSNBC and just see what they had to say. And it was like I was watching completely different subject matter altogether. I couldn't believe it, the, the difference in the reporting there. And 
and that to me is a big difference in what has happened over the past seven years as well is what is what is and I'm not trying to put all the blame on the media, but what I'm simply trying to say is there's a lot of different things that have contributed to this. It's not just one thing. I think it would be totally erroneous to say, oh, this is Donald Trump's fault. No, it's not Donald Trump's fault altogether. Yes, I'm sure he's had something to do with it, but it's it's a lot of things. And the last thing I'll say about that is that, unfortunately, a lot of the things that we do together in a bipartisan fashion don't get reported. And, and, and that baffles me. That just, and it frustrates me. I mean, you know, I was, um, in, in 2020, I was rated as the 61st bipartisan member of Congress out of 535 members. No, nobody reported that. And that was done by your parent company, USA Today. I, and, you know, nobody reports that. And the committee that I serve on, the Energy and Commerce Committee, I would submit to you that that is the most bipartisan committee in Congress. We do things together in that committee. I mean, if you look at what we've done in the past, I, that there's no question about it that, that that has been a bipartisan committee. Unfortunately, this this past year and 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 probably for the past couple of years, it's turned into a very partisan committee because of leadership that and and particularly of the speaker and and her influence over the committee which is very unfortunate but we've still managed to to produce some good products and and get some good legislation out i mean cures you know the cures act is is a product of the energy and commerce committee and i think is some of the best legislation that uh, has been passed in the past couple of decades gotcha. yeah and i i guess uh, as that change came you know kind of to the whole nation, if we're being honest, right? Um, uh, and uh, and then to be clear, I do want to go back. I'm not just saying um, here is um, the world before Donald Trump and the world after. I, right. I don't think it's that significantly different. I really don't. Um, but uh, in terms of the Republican Party, uh, you know, like that is I, to me. This has been my observation. I covered the the Chatham uh, the Chatham County First District. All of those. You you came to a couple of those. You saw it, right? Like it's 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 these folks who came out and believed every word Donald Trump said. Now, am I saying the man doesn't lie? Am I t- saying the man doesn't tell the truth at all? No. But I'm I'm not, also not saying that everything he said was true. Um, and they're angry because they believe that they had an election stolen from them. And, and then had another one stolen in January because, you know, uh, a much lower turnout. You saw that. You saw that happen. And sure. it's been this, this 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 argument, this sort of rift here, at least. And I don't know if that's necessarily the case with the whole country. But um, I, I think, I, I don't know. Do you feel like that there is a, a split in the party at this point? Do you feel like that there are the more Trump side of the Republican Party and the more, I guess, the name that the, 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 the Trump contingency in Chatham was the establishment, um, the older Republicans, the folks who've been down there out there for a long time. Um, which party, which side of the party do you appeal to? Well, well, first of all, I, I would um, I would dis- disagree that there are two Republican parties. There are not. There's one Republican party. We're a broad tent. We include many people, many different ideas. And so does the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. Now, don't think that they don't have their extremes over there as well. Right? Yeah. I've witnessed the squad and, and I've I've worked against it and tried to work with the squad. And I can tell you, they have as much division over there, if not more, than we have in the Republican Party. No doubt, yeah. Uh, you know, 
I, I think this brings about a discussion of, you know, is it Donald Trump? I, I, I'm not sure people really grasp. I, I don't think it's as much Donald Trump as it is. You know, people in the Republican Party in particular are saying, we want somebody who's going to stand up for us. We feel like we haven't had somebody who really stands up for us. Republicans in the past, I think, have, have been somewhat complacent and, and, and not, you know, not stood up for the things that they believe in. I think Donald Trump was the right place at the right time with the right message. He was willing to stand up. And he was willing to fight. Now, when I say fight, you know, fight's got different connotations. I don't mean physically fight, but I mean, you know, stand up and, and argue in favor of them. And I think Democrats do that. They're willing to blow, blow the place up in order to, to get their point across. Republicans have, have never been that way. And Donald Trump finally gave them an opportunity to say, hey, you know, there are things that we don't accept here. Uh, slavery is not my fault. That happened 130 years ago. I didn't have anything to do with that. And you want me to, to make amends for that? You want me to, to pay reparations for that? That's not my fault. I, and, you know, look, I want everybody to have the same opportunity, but I don't want handouts. I, I don't want somebody to be given a handout and, and me have to work for it. I mean, it, it's just, I think the part of Donald Trump is, is overblown. And, and again, I think he was at, he had the right message at the right time. He was, he just, um, it, it was what people in the Republican party were looking for. Less of that quiet power. You know, that's, that's kind of been the, the calling card, I guess, for Republicans for so long. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's interesting to talk about it because, you know, these, this is your constituency, right? Like you have to appeal to these folks. Um, do you feel, do you ever feel like you've, I don't know, emulated Trump rhetoric, like like been a little more stand up for Republican issues kind of than than you have been in the past? Perhaps so. Perhaps that um, he has um, given all of us more confidence, if you will, to stand up and, and to 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 stand up for, for what we believe in, because we do believe in in limited government. We do believe that government plays a, it should play a, a limited role. And, and we do believe that we got serious, serious concerns in this country, that we are committing intergenerational theft right now with $30 trillion in, in debt, and that this is not what we should be doing and what our forefathers had in mind for us to do, that we've got to have fiscal responsibility, that we've got to put the family first, that we've got to protect the rights of the unborn, that someone's got to stand up for the unborn. And, and this is, we're not talking about a choice here. We're talking about a baby here. There are things that, look, I, I'm willing to work toward a compromise on a lot of different subjects, but there are some that I'm, I'm just not going to be able to, to compromise on. And pro-life is one of them. Yeah. Um, well, let's tell you what, man, let's bring it down to the state level. Um, we've got a few races in Georgia. I'm not going to push you super hard on this just because this is really out of my own curiosity. Um there is a challenger to Brian Kemp in the governor's race, um, and it's David Perdue. And uh, David Perdue is Donald Trump's pick. And I know I keep bringing Trump up, but it's kind of hard not to. The man really just exists even after he's not in office. I don't know. He, but is it who do you have? Who do you see there? Who, who, who do you like in the Georgia governor's race? Well, I like the Republican nominee is who I like. <laughs> I, you know, look, I wish we could have avoided this. I think everybody wishes we could have avoided this, um, but it is what it is. And 
Uh, we are very fortunate to have two good candidates. I think Brian Kemp's done a great job as governor. I think David Perdue did a great job as senator and that if he were to be elected governor, he'd do a fine job there as well. Uh, again, I wish we could have avoided this, but it is what it is. We have to face it. We're going to get through it. I've talked to both of them. I talked to both of them the week that David announced and, and told them that, you know, the only commitment I ask of them is that when this is over with, when it's over and said and done, that we all come together as Republicans, that we make sure that we have a Republican in the governor's mansion after the next election. Because I will tell you that Stacey Abrams, who I served with when I was in the House of Representatives and who was a different person back then, but she represents the values of the state of Georgia about like the man on the moon. We do not need Stacey Abrams in the governor's mansion. That would be the worst thing that we could have for the state of Georgia. It would set us back decades from what we have been able to achieve under Republican leadership. After 2020, um, with the, the, the votes going to Biden and Warnock and Ossoff, um, do, do you think, I don't know, I, I don't want to be like, are you scared of Stacey Abrams? You know, are, are you, but is it, 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 do you think that the Republican Party recognizes that, that it very well could be, you know, a Stacey Abrams win here? Like, is it like, or is the money going into that nationally? Like, I, I don't know. What is, what's, what's your take on the whole, the whole race, I guess? Well, I, you know, one thing that I think you would be remiss in not um, in mentioning is about what's going to happen at a national level, because I feel like we are going to have a red tsunami in the House of Representatives. I think we're going to pick up a, a tremendous number of seats. We've already had 30 Republicans who have announced the latest one being today, Bobby Rush, who announced that they're not going to run, that they're retiring, they're not running for re-election. You know, we're only four seats short right now. And I think you're going to see a big, big swing, which is typical during the midterm elections for the, uh, the party who is in, in control in the White House. They typically lose 27 seats. I think you can see a lot more than that. And that will have an influence on the Georgia race as well, because I think you're going to see a lot of Republicans get out and vote come November, as opposed to what happened last February with the runoff and the in the um, uh, in the senatorial races, um, oh, you know, January. Uh, the Republican turnout was uh, abysmal, and that and it's just a shame. Yeah, um, you were you, you yourself were kind of mulling around a Senate run some for a little while this year, um, but then Herschel announced. Uh, do you like yeah. Herschel? Oh, I like Herschel a lot. Let me tell you, Herschel Walker is a fine man, and he's going to do a great job as as the next senator from the state of Georgia. I'm a big Herschel fan. Um, Herschel and I are friends. Uh, I committed early on back in, I guess it was probably January, February of last year when I, Herschel and I talked. I told him, I said, Herschel, if you run, I'm 110% behind you, but if you don't, I'm going to run. He told me then, he said, I'm still thinking about it and praying about it, and, but if I don't run, I'll endorse you. And we had an understanding. He decided to run, and thank goodness he did because he's going to be, he's a great candidate. He's going to do a great job. The polls right now show him with a commanding lead in the primary and the polls show him with a with a good lead in, in with um, in the general election against Senator Warnock. But the telltale sign, and if I could just mention this, I was at a um, fundraiser up in Atlanta and the Buckhead area, very affluent area, as you know, in Atlanta. And um, it was a, a national fundraiser for um, um, gubernatorial candidate out of Arkansas. And the week before, they had had a 
um, they had had a fundraiser for Herschel Walker. They were blown away. And these are affluent people, you know, and they were blown away. They said, look, Raphael Warnock's got a silver tongue, but Herschel Walker's got a heart of gold. And he does. We need Herschel Walker in the United States Senate. He will be a, a conservative, reliable Republican vote. And uh, kind of to the piece that resistance here, man, it's it's you're running too, you know, <laughs> like you're in. Sure, sure. And, man, what do you even do? How do you approach it? How do you campaign uh, after, you know, for eight years in office? Like, what do you what do you do to win this race? What do you do? Because it's usually I'm not gonna lie, buddy. It seems pretty. It seems like it's pretty easy. <laughs> You've carried pretty hard for the last last uh, few sessions here. Pretty well, big. listen, there are only two ways to run unopposed and scared. And, and we're going to run scared. And, and you know, I respect both of my opponents, the ones who have announced thus far. There may be more. I don't know. Um, I respect both of them. And, and I think they're both um, uh, I think they're both very intelligent. And, and, and I'm sure they will know the issues. I know Joyce Griggs knows them and I'm, I'm sure Wade Herring will know them as well. But um, we will we will fight hard and we will run a hard campaign and a lot of it will be based on our record. I think that if you look at what we have accomplished here in the past eight years since I've been a member of Congress, you know, with the with the results at the um, in, in, at the Georgia ports and everything that we've been able to achieve there and down in the Brunswick ports, uh, you know, the economy and what we're trying to achieve there. Uh, the quality of life here in coastal Georgia, which, as I mentioned earlier, is my home and where I, I love and lived all my life. And, um, you know, I, I think we've got a great record to run on. Um, and, and one of the candidates, Wade Herring, um, you guys know each other, right? Like you. Sure. And I know Joyce Griggs as well. Joyce and I ran against each other. And I've known Joyce um, ever since she ran against Jack Kingston years ago. Sure. Uh, 2002. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but but the interesting thing for me, at least, about Wade is that you guys go to the same church, right? Yeah. Well, you know, there are a lot of people who go to the same church who have different um, political beliefs. But yes, we do. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I, I just I wondered about the dynamic there. You know, like is this, like is it is it a personal relationship? Is there any strife there now that he's running against you, especially after? No. Listen, I I don't I don't carry personal strife against anyone. I am. I am disappointed that um, he decided to bring that out about church. I think that was unnecessary. Um, that I don't know what that leads to, lends to the conversation. But, um, you know, look, I, I, I love my church. I've been there for over 41 years, going on 42 years now. And, um, you know, I, I understand there are some people in my church and in the Methodist church that I've been a member of all my life that, um, you know, we disagree politically on things and on the role of, of government, and particularly on the role of church and in the religious community, and what role they should be playing in 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 society. So, you know, I I think it's I'm very disappointed that um, Wade decided to bring that up. I think that was unnecessary and caused some some tension in our church that did did not need to to happen. And let me apologize there because I feel like I've struck a chord. Um, no, no, that's fine. Because yeah, I don't, I don't know if Wade said that first or if Will People said that. No, he did. He, he, okay. he did. And I just knew about it, and I, I sure, pers- sure. personally, I, I thought it was interesting. Right? It's just too well. And and listen, Wade, hearing Susan and, and their family, it's a fine family, and um, uh, and Joyce is is a fine person. Uh, this is you know. Listen, I've been doing this a long time, and uh, yeah, it hurts when you when you read things in the paper and, and hear things, uh, you know, and 
it hurts you, especially when you're alone. But uh, you understand that that's part of it. It's not the fun part of it. And uh, you just have to move on and be strongly convicted in your beliefs. And I am strongly convicted in my beliefs. I truly believe that that the conservative movement in our country is, is where our country needs to be. And we need to stop this socialism that is taking place right now. Listen, I've been in Washington, D.C. I will tell you, these people are serious. They want socialism and they are moving towards socialism. It amazes me to see people from Cuba holding up American flags saying, we want what you've got. And then for the Democrats to be saying, we're going to give you what they've got. It makes no sense whatsoever. Um, I guess. And just just to kind of wrap all of it up, to put it all uh, in, a, in as neat of a package as we can, um, uh, what do you want to say to the people of the first district? As you well, what I want to say is that you know, first of all, it is an honor and a privilege, and and I consider it to be both to represent the people of the first congressional district of Georgia. As I've mentioned so many times, my home where I've lived all my life and where I intend to live the rest of my life. I work hard every day. No one in Congress works harder than I do. I work hard every day representing the people of the first congressional district of Georgia. I recognize that we have a very diverse district and that there are some people who don't agree with some of the decisions that that we make in Congress and that I have some of the votes that I make. And I understand that. But I take this very seriously. I work very hard at it. And I'm going to continue to work very hard at it because I am going to do a good job. I have done a good job. I'm going to continue to do a good job. May not always be what you want in the way of a vote, but I can assure you that I always take this very seriously and always take everyone's opinion into consideration. And I welcome everyone's input. This is, you know, look, we live in the greatest country in the world. I I truly believe that. Uh, You hear about people trying to break into this country, but you don't hear about anybody trying to break out. And you can call me naive if you want, but I truly believe that our greatest times are ahead of us. I truly believe that. I've lived the American dream. I mean, my dad passed last July 25th. And I will tell you, my grandfather was a sharecropper. He he didn't own the land. He worked the land. He was a sharecropper in in Tattnall County, in Cobbtown. And my dad took me down a dirt road. And I can remember uh, at one time that we were up there on at, at the family reunion and he took me down, my sister and I down that dirt road. And he said, we used to live here. We used to live here. There used to be a house there. We lived there. They lived wherever the land they were working was at. That's where they lived. My dad moved to Savannah from Coptown. He got a job working shift work at Union Camp, Union Bag back then. He told me, he said, I took every penny I had in my pocket and I put gas in my car and I rolled the windows down and I just went around driving and saying and shouting out the window, I got a job at Union Bag. I got a job at Union Bag. My dad worked hard. He worked shift work, as I say. I was the first one in my extended family to graduate from college. I built a successful business. I've been very blessed and I always wanted to give back to the community, to the state, to the country that's given me so much. I've lived the American dream. I literally have lived the American dream. And I want my children and my grandchildren, their children, to have that same opportunity to live the American dream. You're from a small town, Will. I know Wren's well. And you know what it's like to be from a small town. I'm from Poole Wentworth. And I've lived in Pooler since 1980. Tremendous growth that we've seen in Pooler. We are so blessed in this district. We are so blessed in this state. We are so blessed in this country. And I want to make sure we continue to live in the greatest country in the world. Thank you for joining us, Congressman Carter.
Thank you. Thanks again to Congressman Carter. We'll get to his challenger, Wade Herring, in just a moment. In the meantime, I need to plug the commute's presenting sponsor and favorite local business, National Office Systems. If you are a regular listener to the commute, you know about Scott Center and his team over at National Office Systems and how they are Savannah's experts in office design and outfitting. They work with top quality suppliers such as Dirt Modular Interiors and Herman Miller Office Furniture to create comfortable and productive workspaces. Learn more by visiting www.natoffsys.com. That's www.natoffsys.com. Now, here's that discussion with Wade Herring. Well, first off, uh, Wade Herring, thank you so much for joining us today. You are a candidate for the 1st District of Georgia uh, for the upcoming congressional race in the midterms. Um, I guess just to kind of get started, uh, you've talked a lot about January 6th and specifically Buddy Carter's reaction to it. So let's just like jump right in here, man. That was the impetus for you jumping in the race. You wrote the column. um, There were some billboards involved with the PAC. What is, uh, I guess, take me through that day. Take me through January 6th. Was there a specific point where you were like, okay, now I have to run? Well, I was at work, uh, as I typically am on January the 6th, and I started hearing people out in the hallway talk about, have you heard what's going on in Washington? I started receiving email alerts from news services and emails from friends around the country. And so I pulled up uh, the news on my computer, don't tell the IT people at my law firm, and uh, watched in horror as I saw an insurrection riot overtake the Capitol, something like that in our country. Uh, I left work early that day. That's something I rarely do. I was not able to focus. And that night, uh, Susan, my wife, and I sat on the couch, anxiously watching what was going to happen to the future of our country. Uh, one, One brave moment I'll always remember, the young women interns who secured the box that the electoral votes are kept in. They secured that box to safety. Uh, But the Capitol had been cleared and uh, the camera goes to the House floor and there stands Buddy Carter and five other representatives from the state of Georgia to vote to overturn the election. Uh, I could not believe that he would do that. It was a fundamental violation of his oath of office to protect and defend the Constitution. Uh, It made me angry and disappointed and sad. And I knew that night that I had to do something and I had to do something public. So I did end up writing the letter, uh, the open letter that the newspaper published asking him to apologize and resign. Uh, But after that, I realized that what was at stake was so serious it's the future of our country is at stake, uh, that I had to do more than just uh, write a letter or help purchase some billboards that I, I had to get off the sidelines and I had to run. And so that's that's why I'm here today and that's why I'm running. Gotcha. And, and I think it's interesting because you know Buddy Carter, right? Like you guys go to the same church, is that right? Correct. What, what is that relationship like? Like, did you see him at church and like something like, no, buddy, I don't really agree with what you did that day. Like what, I don't know. What is, how does that play into, I guess, the race as a whole here? Well, because of the pandemic, uh, 
January, the church was largely closed, so I have not seen him at church uh, since this happened. Um, and then once I became a candidate, I started attending many churches. Uh, but I think the fact that I do know him made this more real to me. Uh, he knows better. Um, but for me, he's not some abstract person that you only see on TV or read about in the paper. I know him. And he knows better than to do what he did. And what he did is wrong. And, and again, I go back to uh, our democracy is at stake. Um, and that's why I'm running. That's why I put my law practice on pause. That's why I'm devoting my full time to this is because the future of our country is at stake. And it, at least initially, um, you've raised a lot of money right off the bat. Um, and I don't want to dwell too much on it because money isn't everything. But um, it, it, to me, it's one of two things. It's an indication of the people wanting change, especially in your case with all the individual contributions that you have. But it also could be an indication of I'm very well connected in Savannah and my friends are willing to give me money. Um, I, I don't know. How do you see... How do you see yourself as a representative? Is it is it is it the support of others? Are you I, I don't know what makes you think that you're the right person to do this? Why not just go find someone else to run? Right. Well, the truth is, uh, this is a very hard uh, task I've undertaken, and not many people are willing to do it. Um, I feel again. I feel called to do this. And because of my deep roots in the community, uh, because of my record of being a volunteer in this community, as well as a business professional, I feel like I'm qualified to use that experience to represent the people of this district. In terms of the money, that's important. But as you said, it's not the only thing. But we have uh, last time I checked, we have nearly twice the number of individual donors uh, that the incumbent has. Uh, the reception that I've gotten has been one of gratitude and thanks for stepping forward to run. And that's, of course, been encouraging for me, but I think it also demonstrates that people are ready for a change. They're ready for something different from their representative. I hear you. And this year will be a true test of that because, you know, like Georgia flipped blue in three very big races last year. And, you know, you can attribute that to Donald Trump being on the ballot, people wanting to get him out, especially in the Democratic turnout side. And you could argue that Stacey Abrams might bring that same force to the table next year with people on the opposite end going to support her. Right. Um, I, I guess my question is, like, no Democrat has been able to even get close to Buddy Carter, not even close. Joyce Meir Griggs, who is running again this year, uh, tried it in 2020, didn't get there, at least ring before her. You know, it's what what is different about Wade, I guess? Why do you think that you can win this or does, does it just feel like you have to try? Who's going to win this race are the voters of the first district, the people of the first district and the people of the first district want a representative 
who represents the families and the people of this district. They don't want someone who's gotten caught up in the Washington game and is playing politics, is playing the politics of anger and division, is following a playbook that somebody else gave him. What the people of this district want is someone who's going to put them first, and that's what I intend to do. Gotcha. Um, So something that we talked about, I guess, briefly, uh, is your political platform. I think it's pretty common for people to assume that if you're a Democrat, you support X, Y, and Z, and if you're a Republican, X, Y, and Z. Um, are there any big differentiations for you? What are some of the issues that you're really looking at addressing? What are the things that, in your mind, those first district residents care about? Well, I started uh, meeting with people and listening to people as I considered whether or not to run as early as February of this year. And the things that I've heard from people in this district, and that and that's how I'm creating my platform and will continue to build my platform is, is what the people in this district want. Uh, but the right to vote is, is fundamentally part of our democracy and people are concerned about protecting the right to vote. Um, and a lot of the issues are quite frankly, pocketbook issues. But when I say pocketbook issues, I mean things like the infrastructure bill, for example, that will mean jobs for this area, will mean improvements in roads and bridges, will mean improvements in the port. Uh, Mr. Carter voted against the infrastructure bill and the very next day issued a press release congratulating the port for receiving $8 million in emergency infrastructure money. Um, I am for accessible and affordable health care. And again, that's a pocketbook issue. If you're sick, you can't work. If you've got medical bills, you can't build the kind of family life you want to. Uh, The pandemic has taught us about underlying conditions. Here in the first district, that means things like obesity, diabetes, and hypertension. Let's deal with those issues early in people's lives so that they live longer healthier lives, and again, productive lives, and can work education. Again, let's start early, early childhood education and good quality child care. That's a family issue. Uh, you know, we've got a declining birth rate in this country. Have, starting a family and raising a family is hard. It's in the long-term best interest of this nation to encourage young families and, and to create conditions where women can be part of the workforce if that's what they want to do or need to do. Uh, so those are, those are some of the, oh, oh, one other thing, this really special place where we live with our barrier islands, the Altamaha River Basin, the Okefenokee, uh, we've got to protect that and, and make sure this special place remains the special place that it is where we want to live and where visitors want to come and visit. So those are the kinds of things that I hear people talking to me about. And those are the kinds of things that form the basis for my platform. One thing in there, I did, I did have to, because I had to clarify this myself, actually, uh, the $8 million for, for the port was not from the BBB. That was from um, the, a different thing that passed the same day. I was actually corrected on it. So just wanted to correct you on it as well. Sorry, I'd feel weird if I didn't. But yeah, um, uh, that, that's interesting, you know, it's because I, I think that's a platform that I think is expected, right? You know, like, uh, I don't know, are, are there any, 
what are you hearing from people when you go out and you do these campaigns? Like that's like people are saying, well, we want the right to vote. We want uh, women's rights. Like they're speaking on those big terms, right? Like not the Chatham County terms, not like, you know, we need usually funding for the ports, the thing that people go for first. It's like, I don't know, hyper local stuff. Is there anything on your mind that needs to happen here that you can deal with on the congressional level? Well, the port, of course, is important. Uh, the military is very important to our district. I want to make sure our men and women in uniform are taken care of and that when they leave the service that our veterans are taken care of. Uh, again, this unique place where we live, the environment is important. Uh, whether you're a hunter or a fisherman or you just enjoy going to the beach, those are things that are important. And now that the infrastructure bill has passed, I would want to make sure that our district got its fair share uh, and that money was spent appropriately and wisely, uh, but, but that we got our piece of, piece of that money. So those would be the kinds of things that I would be advocating for as a representative. Gotcha. Um, and, and I do want to talk about campaigning as well. Um, uh, before going into the race, I don't know, did you have uh, anything in your mind about what campaigning was like, uh, a preconceived notion about it? Is it? What has surprised you, I guess, as you've gone into this process and gone along and been meeting people? And you said you were going to churches, right? Right. I, I don't I don't know that there's been any big surprise. Uh, I've always been interested in politics. I have supported campaigns. Uh, I knew that this would be a lot of hard work. I've worked since I was 14 years old. I'm accustomed to hard work. Uh, I, you know, I've spent a career listening to people and learning from people and helping people solve problems. That's what lawyers do. Uh, and this is a different kind of listening and problem solving. But I don't know that there have been any big surprises, no. Gotcha. Um, uh, and I guess... To put absolutely too fine of a point on it, um, the district you're running in is very red. It is Chatham and Liberty pretty much that are reliably blue counties. Um, and I think that uh, a large portion of the population in both of those counties are black people. How do you convince uh, the black community in Liberty County and Chatham County and in the first district as a whole that you are <laughs> the uh, proper old white guy to vote for? If Sorry, not to put too fine a point on it. <laughs> Right. Well, um, first, the we naturally tend to label people and categorize people. And you just called me uh, the old white guy. And let me say something about uh, age. You know, uh, Nancy Pelosi is 81. Mitch McConnell is 79. Joe Biden is 79. Donald Trump is 75. So it's about time young people like me got involved in politics. <laughs> so that would be number one. Uh, the message that I'm talking about the right to vote, uh, healthcare, infrastructure, education, protecting this special place, that, that resonates with all people, black and white. I am again, though, a listener and a learner and a truth teller. And I acknowledge that the American promise too often has been broken for black people. I understand that. Uh, you know, again, meeting and listening to people. Uh, I heard the story of a man who never had a book in his school until he attended uh, Savannah uh, High uh, back in the 60s. 
I heard the more recent story of a man who in tuxedo leaving a gala got stopped on uh, on Bay Street by the police and put down on the ground. Uh, so I acknowledge and understand that the American promise has been poorly kept, if kept at all, with our Black citizens. And I hear that, and I'm willing to be an advocate for change for that. And I think that's why people like uh, Representative Al Williams and former Mayor Otis Johnson and Representative Derek Mallow, uh, former Mayor of Hinesville, Jim Thomas, uh, have uh, Reverend Stevenson, people like that have uh, Commissioner Tanya Milton. Uh, those people have endorsed me publicly and and want to see me be the next representative of this district. Gotcha. Yeah. And it, it's, it's just such a, it's such a huge part of Savannah's community and it's such a huge part of the first district as a whole. I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you to be quite honest. Um, I, I guess uh, what is, I don't know when you, when you kind of just to dig really into the whole campaign as a whole here, what is the, what is the strategy? Where do you think you're going to get these votes? Because it's about like, you know, 6%, give or take, to, to 50 for Buddy, right? Like he's about 56%, even on a bad year um, in, in terms of victory. What is what is your plan to get that 6%? Is it just pulling folks over from the middle, people who are uh, maybe feel the same way you do about Buddy's uh, voting record and his actions on January 6th? Like what, where does that come from? Well, I think there's going to be a lot of excitement about this election, even though it's a midterm. Um, as you said, uh, uh, Stacey Abrams is on the ballot. Reverend Warnock, Senator Warnock is on the ballot. Uh, people are excited about that. Um, uh, on the other hand, it looks like, uh, you know, the, the, the Republicans are going to be fighting over which camp they're in, the Trump camp or some other camp. And I don't know what that other is anymore. Um, I'm offering a different kind of choice for people in this district than they've had before. Uh, I intend to get the message out there. Uh, and uh, again, I think it's what the, the people are going to win this race, that, that they are tired of the anger and division in Washington. They're tired of someone who puts politics before this district, who puts politics before the long-term interests of this country. Uh, so I think that message is what's going to win this race. Gotcha. And you said you said that phrase a couple of times. Um, the people are going to win this race. Uh, like <laughs> half the people will, you know. Like it'll be about half. Um, we we live in pretty divided times. I don't know how do you get people because you know how do you convince moderate Republicans? I guess or people who disagree with Buddy. How do you really market that? Market yourself as the alternative to that? I don't know. Because I'm never going to vote to overturn an election. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that fundamental violation of your oath of office. That fundamental violation of what leadership is supposed to be. I'm going to think long-term and not short-term. I'm going to think about the people and not myself. Uh, that's how I'm going to win over moderate Republicans. And I've already been approached by them. And, and, and have, have been said, thank you, thank you, thank you, Wade. I think that's really everything I had to ask. <laughs> well, thank you. Is, is there anything else? Is there, is there, is there a, a, I don't know if, if people take home one thing from listening to this, if they've made it all the way to the end of this interview, 
what do you want them to know about Wade? Wade's going to put the country first. Wade's going to put the people of this district first. Wade's going to tell the truth. And Wade's going to support the Constitution and the promise of America. Wade's working for a better tomorrow. He's not looking backward at an America that never was. Hey, well, Wade Herring, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks to Wade Herring for joining the commute. Excerpts from the interviews with Herring and Carter are available in Thursday's Savannah Morning News. If you aren't a print subscriber, you can read those Q&As at savannahnow.com, the online home of the Savannah Morning News. You can get full access to savannahnow.com and our mobile app for just $1 a month for the next six months. Go to savannahnow.com slash subscribe now and sign up. Again, that's savannahnow.com slash subscribe now. Thanks one more time for listening to this episode of The Commute. For more interviews with local newsmakers, check out The Commute archives by searching The Commute with that Savannah opinion. The Commute returns next Tuesday.